Namaste, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Bharatvartha Weekly. Thank you so much for joining us. I have Abhishek Paul and Nirav Kanodra here with me to discuss the news and views from the week that was. There is plenty to talk about. Uh, as the country celebrated Ram Navmi, there were some communal clashes. Then we had the uh, fantastic exchange between uh, external, Affa- external Affairs Minister Mr. S. J. Shankar and uh, the U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. Uh, meanwhile, in the state of Karnataka, Minister Ishwarappa had resigned on uh, corruption charges. And in some positive news, Egypt has approved India as a wheat supplier and India is also receiving a shipment of S-400 missiles from Russia. So there's plenty to talk about. And uh, as usual, uh, before we get into the news, let's talk about the episode we put out last week. Uh, this was with Nirav and uh, Rahul Bajoria. Uh, and we spoke about how FTAs have moved way past being foreign diplomacy tools to actually being an integral part of our economic policy. And it was very well received. And I think it was fairly comprehensive as well. Uh, Abhishek, did you catch this episode? Yeah, I, I've caught like, I've been to 50% of it so far. So yeah, I think obviously Rahul and Nirav very well explained, you know, the basis for FTAs, their importance and, you know, the strategic role they will play in foreign affairs and diplomacy, apart from the whole economic aspect, obviously. So yeah, great episode. Need to check out, check it out fully now. Yeah, uh, definitely check out this episode. It was uh, very, very interesting. Moving on to the first piece of news for the week. Last week, Ram Navami celebrations were marred by violent communal clashes. These clashes took place across Gujarat, Madhya Pradesh, Jharkhand and West Bengal. Festival processions for the occasion were interrupted by stone pelting, arson and violence. Violence also broke out in Northwest Delhi's Jahangiri Puri on Saturday as stones were pelted during a Hanuman Jayanti procession. Uh, police were forced to resort to firing tear gas shells to bring the situation under control in many affected areas. All the areas in these four states have been kept under strict vigil. Nirav, it's pretty unfortunate, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, every time I guess something like this happens, it really calls for introspection. Yeah. yeah. So I think law and order being uh, broken, right? It's not good. Whatever community, whatever it is. And I think uh, this needs uh, a little bit of like quick uh, action by the police and uh, needs the judicial system to uh, penalize the culprits. So I think that is what is needed. See, loss of private property or life is not acceptable under any circumstances. And uh, there is no excuse of hurting uh, religious sentiment here or there, right? I think this is what it is. Uh, yes, there are processions. Those are like kind of like every religious activity, even like Jains and uh, Sikhs, etc. do carry out their processions. Whichever way it is, I think it's a little bit of a police failure little bit of like a law and order failure. I think leaders from all communities need to come together and condemn this, right? That uh, this kind of thing is not tolerable for uh, whatever reason. So yeah, it's, it's a very sad thing, but that's all what one can say. I think there are a lot of these vested interests and uh, people who kind of want to sow seeds uh, of like communal disharmony. Uh, there's always like a small percentage who are like the actively uh, doing these things. They need to be brought to book. Yeah, that's all what I can say. Yeah, in my experience as well, I think these are occasions when, you know, certain elements of society take advantage, right? I mean, to settle scores, uh, which have nothing to do with, uh, you know, uh, which may have nothing to do with uh, any kind of communities or whatever. And it's a, it's a law and order problem that happens in various sections of India. Some of this may not be 
reported as widely but yeah i mean it's it's pretty unfortunate that it happened in all of these uh, different states four five different states the delhi violence especially i think has uh, escalated so yeah i mean let's hope that you know uh, law and order and peace returns moving on external affairs minister uh, sj shankar's minister uh, comments at the india us dialogue have gone viral at a joint press conference the minister answered a question regarding human rights issues in india he stated that india also takes up human rights issues with the us he also alluded to lobbies and vote banks which influence the, the views of those in power the us secretary of state's comments on human rights in india were seen as a rare direct rebuke of washington by india uh, the eam's sharp response also came after two sikh men were assaulted last week in an alleged hate crime incident in new york uh, avishek this was uh, this was like this was fun to watch right i mean a uh, uh, very sharp exchange between uh, mr blinken and mr jayashankar yeah so i think uh, last week on the trip we had basically the 2 plus 2 dialogue where uh, the defense and foreign ministers or secretaries of both nations uh, had a dialogue uh, followed by uh, i think an hour long press briefing and the next day i think jay shankar and blinken uh, went to address at the harvard harvard university not harvard but harvard so i think this remark that you are referring to happened in that uh, forum so interestingly uh, before we come to that i think uh, just wanted to point out that the 2 plus 2 meeting and briefing was also very interesting and i don't know if others share the assessment but to me i think at least anthony blinken has been probably one of the most reasonable sounding guys among the uh, us establishment when it comes to india so one of the remarks that caught my attention was that obviously the reporters and journalists kept asking about russia ukraine and why india is not condemning etc etc right uh, they kept probing that question throughout and one of the remarks that Uh, anthony blinken made was that you know there was a time uh, for a very long time that uh, india and russia's relationships grew because us was not in a position to become a partner for india so he sort of uh, was very frank in terms of the history uh, historical context of the india russia uh, relation he did not sort of dismiss it that india is doing something totally wrong right and and now and then he said that but now we are in a position to be you know good partners and so i thought that was a pretty uh, interesting and uh, good remark from his side but yeah coming to uh, the this particular comment obviously uh, some of the key uh, topics that are picked up uh, journalists or you know uh, intellectuals who speak or you know debate on these issues these days when it comes to india us is obviously india's uh, relationship with russia and then uh, you know there are so many of these reports and think tanks who have come up with publications talking about uh, the declining democracy quotient in india and obviously uh, human rights is one of those parameters right fall into that aspect right and so it's only natural that uh, you know they will keep bringing these topics up i think uh, uh, jay shankar's remarks were obviously designed to sort of give a befitting reply to those questions saying that you know it's not like it's a one way it's going to be only a one way street uh, 
and india too can uh, sort of india too has concerns about you know happenings that are going on in the western hemisphere or let's say us in particular and that is true right like indians do continue to face uh, you know they are often victims of violence or hate crime in the west as well right so that was like a fair remark but i think uh, it's also true that you know the the in the larger context uh, right now given how the uh, media narrative is going this will continue to be, be asked uh, constantly uh, but the good thing i think is that in general the biden administration uh especially through anthony blinken has not gone to such a um, level that a lot of folks had feared would happen under a democratic administration and made this a constant talking point day in day out right so that has not happened and so i think at least when it comes to this uh presidential term india us relationship will probably not deteriorate when it comes to this question uh the future of course we don't know right uh, under future presidents and administration yeah, but this also seems like a standard template that's often used right uh, to kind of uh, uh, chide india right yes. and uh, it's glad i'm really glad that you know we kind of uh, gave back uh, you know yeah. in full this time no yeah. i uh, yeah so this one i agree so one is what has jay shankar done is he's ended the conversation by earlier what would happen is that india would always get some uh, like be chided or scolded and kind of you're already on the back foot and when you're having your 2 plus 2 other uh, uh, negotiations right you're already on a back foot what jay shankar has done smartly is he ended the conversation saying that if you have concerns about us we have concerns about you but kind of let's move on and let's look at common ground right so uh, one thing i would say and i was listening to the full press conference today the 2 plus 2 meeting so the other three uh, people there right so blinken austin and uh, rajnath singh from our side their remarks are often in a very standard typical politicians yeah. very diplomatic answers but jay shankar certainly gives a very very different tone and tenor in his answer he is often Absolutely. quite unorthodox in the way he replies and he confronts questions in a very different way which i think is like it's like an asset right now right we don't yeah. often have people who are able to you know cut to the core you know removing all the niceties along the way right so it's and, it's yeah. it's always good to listen to and maybe maybe you can accuse him of like overplaying your hand but what he has done is yeah. in his negotiations he is talking as an equal rather right. than as a junior partner right yeah. uh, agreed like in economic heft or in military ties so uh, india may not be equal and it isn't right but still you are trying coming to the table as an equal and uh, this is a refreshing change in attitude yeah. so that is definitely there always there is a risk of sometimes overplaying your hand but i am guessing uh jay shankar knows enough about diplomacy than all of us ever would right so absolutely uh, it's a refreshing change to see yeah i mean he's almost never rude or impolite right i mean yeah. he's answering in a very tactful may- way in fact uh, yes. right and uh, in a way that uh, helps someone pause and reflect really 
uh, right? And uh, so, so yeah, I mean, it's a very refreshing sort of a diplomacy, um, you know, uh, on that perspective. Uh, well, moving on, in the midst of the war in Ukraine, India has received a shipment of S-400 missile systems from Russia. According to sources, the consignment of S-400 missile system was delivered by ship and is now operational. Parts of the missile system arrived via both air and sea routes and were quickly deployed in the designated locations. The equipment, uh, including simulators, uh, study materials, and documents have arrived for the S-400 training squadron, which will be set up soon to train uh, Indian Air Force personnel. Uh, Nirav, this is positive news, right? Yeah, so see, uh, these shipments which have come now, the orders were placed long ago, right? So that is one thing. And uh, India needs to kind of uh, look at what is best for India. So obviously India has like a critical dependency on Russia. And when somebody is your biggest arms supplier, you cannot really go against them uh, publicly, right? So this is one thing. Uh, India needs a balancing force. India has to like say to the West that this is what is Russia offering me and uh, historical ties that we have with them. If you want us not to accept these things, you need to give us something else in return, right? So obviously, I think, see, India has uh, done a reasonably good job of balancing all the powers. India is allied with Russia on certain things. Uh, India is opportunistically buying uh, Russian crude, though very tiny amounts. It's very, very tiny amounts uh, at like a very big discount. Uh, India probably is paying for all of these in uh, rupees, which... Russia will either reinvest in India or they will have to buy some Indian goods. So uh, uh, that's another positive thing. And India continues to be part of the quad uh, with uh, US, Japan and Australia. And India does have uh, 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 military ties even with France where India buys Rafale jets and a lot of other military equipment or Israel or the US, right? So that is there. But also this calls for a case of indigenization of Indian weapons. So obviously it is a process. You can't do it overnight. So that's what it is. I think uh, without making too much of a UN cry, India has to accept these missiles, put them and use them uh, wherever uh, Indian, uh, these are like anti-aircraft missiles. So use them wherever we think that there could be uh, danger of uh, air invasion or aircraft flying over, right? So uh, that's all what there is. And uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a good thing that India has to play like a balancing role over here and care about its own interests. So uh, I just would add that in the same uh, press conference that I was talking about, right? Uh, so this S four hundred issue was also brought up by certain journalists, right? And so they were they they asked the U.S. folks, you know, in terms of so what are you going to do regarding CATSA? Right. So there, I think Secretary Austin replied that, uh, you know, no decision has been taken, etc. While uh, Jay Shankar, I think, not sure if on that forum or another forum, he was asked about those sanctions. So he also gave again a very good reply. He said that, you know, that CATSA is the U.S. domestic law. So it's for the U.S. to do decide what they want to do. And S-400 is for our you know, defense needs and we are doing what is needed for our defense. So he was quite emphatic in, you know, replying on that. Yeah, if anything, this makes all the more the case that, you know, uh, why we have to be allied with Russia and not take sides, right? So, so yeah. 
uh well in some domestic news uh, karnataka minister mr ishwarappa has been booked in an abatement of suicide case resulting in his resignation contractor and bjp worker santosh patel was found dead in a lodge in, in udupi in a note uh, mr patel blamed ishwarappa and his aides for forcing him to take the extreme step reportedly the minister and his aides demanded 40% commission to clear bills for a pending project uh police then booked the karnataka rural development and panchayat raj minister uh mr ishwarappa for allegedly abetting the suicide in a one line resignation letter submitted to chief minister mr basavaraj bommai uh, mr ishwarappa said he is resigning to court voluntarily well um i don't know the specifics of the case as such and obviously a lot of it is yet to be investigated but this kind of routinely happens where ministers pressure contractors right i mean it's almost like an open secret uh, in in society uh, right i mean we blame the roads and we blame all of the infrastructure and all of that stuff for you know people kind of uh, you know for these contractors being really uh, uh, you know uh, corrupt and what not but really i mean there's no incentive for those folks to um, you know uh, screw their own margins and like do the do great work at uh, for our benefit right and usually those margins are uh, skimmed off by the likes of you know ministers and you know plenty of uh, 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 you know the the hierarchy in between basically so so yeah i mean it's it's pretty unfortunate pretty tragic uh, abhishek what do you think yeah so this particular case uh, is very unfortunate i think uh, and what is more unfortunate is that this case came into notice about a month back when newspapers carried the story that you know this particular contractor had actually sent uh, you know letters to the union minister agiriraj singh with whatever his allegations were right and right at that moment i mean looking back probably in hindsight we could say that you know police should have probably jumped in quicker and you know done the investigation uh, faster right either way but yeah uh, as you said uh, contractors and politicians obviously form a very old and uh, dubious nexus right in all parts of our country uh, so yeah i mean uh, it's just uh, it's also sort of not a good look on the karnataka bjp government uh, it's i mean uh, it took him some time for mr ishwarappa to give his resignation uh, but yeah i guess uh, the police investigation should quickly you know uh, get to the details of the case and you know find out what's the truth behind this yeah and also i think post uh, mr yadurappa the bjp state uh, state government outfit at least right has been in a little bit of a you know uh, yeah i mean when you have such a big leader who's leading the party in the yeah. state for such a long time obviously vacuum will happen right and i guess the new chief minister is yet to fully establish his authority you know through the rank and file of the party yet so that's also a factor right now right uh, moving on germany meets snub india as g7 guest over our stance at the on the russo ukrainian conflict reportedly germany is debating whether to invite prime minister narendra modi to the group of seven summit it's hosting in june g7 nations have taken the lead in pursuing sanctions against russia and some have sent weapons to ukraine 
They have also sought to engage other countries to condemn President Vladimir Putin and to put limits on trade and investment with Russia. Uh, well, Nirav, should we really care about this? Yeah. So, uh, one thing, like I would like to say. So, one is India is part of G20, but not a part of the G7. Uh, this time they are calling guests. Uh, each G7 summit, they do call certain uh, countries as guests, and uh, India typically has been invited to like a lot of these ones. Uh, you see that the other guests that they are inviting, right? It is uh, uh, countries in Africa like Botswana, right? And they are not inviting India. So I think this is kind of like their loss. Uh, they have taken it a bit too seriously about like India's uh, abstention. Uh, in the UN General Assembly, but there are 50 countries who've done that. Second, uh, India needs to call out uh, hypocrisy of Germany, where actually Ukraine and Poland are also criticizing Germany for continuing to buy Russian gas. So they have stopped buying Russian crude oil, but they're still buying Russian gas. There are other European nations still buying Russian oil as well, right? Uh, Italy was trying to say that, oh, please don't sanction Gucci and Prada selling the luxury goods in uh, Russia, right? So they are being, you would probably call it hypocritical about it. So I think it is fine. Uh, if uh, India is snubbed, so be it. Uh, I think with S.J. Shankar being very communicative about uh, these double standards, India needs to have its own interests. I think we at Bharat Varta have also been saying this for a while, that uh, if India is snubbed, it is snubbed. Uh, there's no big deal. We are part of the G20. And uh, usually the guests have limited role in the dialogues anyways. So it's not as if it really matters a lot. And uh, so the G7 summit is uh, in after June, there's another one in like Indonesia where probably India will be invited as a guest. So I think it's just, uh, it's probably not even worth uh, thinking too much about. And uh, if anything, uh, if India is criticized publicly, it gives us a chance to highlight their own hypocrisy. Or to be fair, if India can use this as leverage to say that this is what I'm getting from Russia, what can you offer me in return if you want me to behave in such a way and make the most of the opportunity? Uh, that's what it is. In some positive news, uh, in a big breakthrough, Egypt has approved India as one of its suppliers for wheat. According to a statement from Commerce Minister Piyush Goel, uh, Egypt is likely to lift about 1 million tons of wheat from India, of which 240,000 uh, tons will be shipped in April itself. The country is one of the biggest importers of Russian and Ukrainian wheat. It buys 11 to 12 million tons of wheat from Russia, Ukraine, and other countries in a, in a year. This might change in the future as uh, India is hoping to achieve a wheat export target of at least 10 million tons in, 20, in 2023 which can even go up to 15 million tons if conditions remain favorable. Um, Nirav, this is really positive yeah. news, right? I mean, we oh, did yeah. speak about exports and agriculture yes. exports in, in particular. Yeah. yeah. So I think you all have had episodes about uh, farm laws, etc. as well. But so I want to point out some numbers. India roughly annually produces 100 metric tons, uh, 100 million tons of wheat, right? So India produces about 100. FCI stocks have about 24 million tons in our go-downs, right? Uh, so that is one which is the spare buffer stock. Through the pandemic, though we had like complete sowing and our agriculture wasn't affected, uh, India had enough wheat and rice to give it even free instead of two rupees a kilo was given at like two people, right? Who who, hold, uh, who held the below poverty line ration cards, etc. right? So one is India is 
a surplus food country two is earlier since like we've had this whole uh, period of green revolution etc we looked at like food exports were like a crime because oh, india was a hungry country that that's no longer the case so we are producing more than we consume and sometimes maybe we are producing too much of certain things right but this has given us an opportunity three is uh, egypt imports about 11 12 million tons there are other uh, big importers as well like indonesia uh, vietnam etc and uh, india has been earlier exporting only about 1 to 2 million tons of wheat mostly to uae uh, sri lanka bangladesh i think the countries around us so this is a very big opportunity we already have stocks so it's not as if earlier the socialist politicians would say that how can india export food when people are hungry so i think uh, that's no longer the case uh, we have excess food stocks and uh, this is this needs to be well publicized even for geopolitics and diplomacy that india is being like the exporter of food and saving the other countries from like higher prices or hunger because india has been chastised like as germany snubbing india at g7 or like india has been criticized for uh, abstaining to vote against russia this needs to be highlighted that what positive thing is india doing to rest of the world and uh, earlier our minimum support prices were higher than the international prices of wheat and rice but now what has happened is due to suddenly ukraine and russia being pulled out of the international market uh, the global wheat prices have gone up so that now they are above the minimum support price so now farmers instead of having to sell only at the mandi only to fci they actually would have been better off having an optionality to export directly anyways that's unfortunately not happening but this allows fci to export because they are holding a lot of stock some of it is which even rots so this allows them to export the stock and uh, generate i think export revenue whatever it is is still minimal right it is uh uh 3 and 1/2000 uh rupees per quintal so or something is a global price multiply by whatever 10 million tons is it's not going to change our trade balance by a, a huge amount but what this actually does is changes the perception of india and i think as much as envy times etc are bashing india for other things india needs to leverage this amount and yeah. india needs to gain allies uh like egypt like other food importing countries to align more with india on terms of geopolitics over here so i think that's an opportunity so yeah. uh, and which is being played out quite well so it's a heartening uh, development yeah you know the actual numbers itself might be like pretty small as you said at this point of time but then it opens the doors it's a new opportunity and uh, yeah it it may grow into something more significant obviously yeah. right so all right uh and <laughs> this is my favorite piece of news from the week that was uh, elon musk has made a bid to gain uh, uh, the billionaire offered dollar uh, 54.20 per share in cash bringing up twitter's valuation to about 43 billion dollars 6 billion more than its current valuation in a ted talk uh, musk spoke about his goals for the platform expressing a belief that twitter should be to quote an open uh, twitter should to quote the open source the algorithm he also described how he thinks twitter's a uh, long awaited edit button should work well um i know all of us have uh, plenty of stuff to say about this but yeah i mean let me just say that you know the the world's one of the world's richest man is like a shit poster right i mean he's a <laughs> an epic epic troll and it's just such a fantastic time to live in seriously uh, i mean uh, super super entertaining guy and i think uh, you know after donald trump had uh, been banned from twitter there was uh, there was a vacuum of course and uh, seems like you know uh, elon musk is kind of filling that vacuum right um 
people kind of think of uh, elon as a mad genius but uh, i think they should also understand he's a very calculative businessman as well uh, right if you look at uh, the tesla stories for example and how he's doing some of the other stuff as well um, uh, so so i don't know i mean is he serious he may be serious but he will definitely have a plan b and a plan c and must doesn't do anything uh, without any reason right i mean for entirely selfless reasons as such uh right uh, and he shouldn't i mean i'm not faulting him uh for for that i mean everyone should think in their self interest of course um this whole um i don't know what do you call it this whole free speech platform that twitter will turn into a public square and that everyone will be able to say everything um you know unhindered i think that's a fallacy i don't think uh, there's ever a platform like that right uh, even in the real world there are consequences to speech right uh, which you know of course i mean we have discussed with some of that uh, on this episode itself right uh, so so yeah any time i hear some of this uh, idealism right i mean i'm i'm tempted to kind of believe in some of that idealism and not really snub it with some cynicism because i want the world to be that way right i mean uh, and who knows i mean people who are crazy enough to think that way usually change the world for the better so uh, so yeah what do you guys think Abhishek? yeah so okay i i would say few things right so one is you saw that elon musk now owns 9% of twitter in his personal capacity it's not as if tesla has taken over and uh, the triggering reactions which came out from certain set of people so i think like twitter it's a fantastic medium that's how we've connected right we've never met in person but uh, it has been selectively censoring stuff right so while it and then they are saying that they call themselves guardian of free speech but if they are selectively censoring and they say oh free speech would lead to chaos so i think that's a little bit of a negative uh they you can find out or uh, like tweets which uh, which can say that oh the 2000 elections were rigged but you can't find that say about 2020 right and uh, so those kind of things are there obviously it has uh, in the us it has one set of a political bias also also for india right uh, so that is one issue and uh, you saw like some people scampering around there is talk of uh, twitter having like a poison pill uh, where they want to like kind of either destroy the company or they looking for like as yeah. in mna they call a white knight someone else to take over instead of like elon musk uh, so here there could be multiple reasons one is elon musk is a must like a genius it doesn't look like in the episode like the world's richest man with worth net worth of 266 billion trying to acquire a media platform uh, for 54 billion valuation right with which if he could censor it his way kind of like promotes his things so no one talks about it he's actually been shown in like a light of like uh, trying to open up uh, for free speech and all these other guys are looking as like the uh, what you might say is uh, the villains or in the saga so that is one thing two is for musk this is like a a big speculative trade that if things go right he acquires it uh, maybe if he can run the platform in a better way its valuation is much smaller versus all the fangs he can probably grow twitter and it's a great business opportunity if yeah. if he has it but say for example if it doesn't work out uh and if say parag agarwal and the board manage to find another suitor who kind of tries to acquire it he can just sell off his 9% and walk away so i think he's taken a calculated gamble over here 
and uh, being like the shit poster that he is he's kind of loaded the dice in his favor that that's what i first impressions or that's what i feel out here that yeah. uh, it's a heads i win tails you lose kind of a scenario and exactly. uh, he's played his cards quite well so yeah that's about it as in in terms of whether it is successful whether there's any real change or not uh, no idea uh, twitter still remains like a great medium i always tell like other friends that uh, other social media networks are connecting with people you already know say for example facebook and twitter is a platform where you meet new people who share the same interests as you right and that has helped me or enabled uh, me meet a lot of like minded people so it's a fantastic platform can it be improved obviously and uh, let's see what happens yeah i think uh, you know the potential for growth in twitter right i mean uh, given the engagement it has and given how relevant it is to the times uh, and it has been right considering all of those things i think you know i mean twitter has been very very uh, i mean I, i don't want to say underperformed but i mean has not lived up to that potential right um, seriously because Uh, really i mean i think i think there's just so much one can do right i mean each of us have an entire running list of things that we would add to twitter product right if we were made head of product for a day or something uh, even on the business front i mean um, you know i i had written this article about 6 years ago in swarajya that you know there is probably multiple products within twitter itself that they can hive off and start monetizing as a saas platform uh, by itself whether it's the data or whatever else right um, so so yeah i mean this could be a positive for sure right i mean uh, um, i either way it could be a positive i think right there there was an the the amazing thing is i mean the number of memes that have come up right i mean uh, because of this whole thing so so yeah all right so that's a wrap from us here on the bharatwarta weekly today uh, thank you again for joining us and uh, we have plenty of episodes coming up uh, so look forward to seeing you guys on another episode thank you